Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those 24 hours that makes all of the difference in our health, happiness, and success. On this episode, Meredith sits down with Megan Melgard to talk about all things swimming and a little stunt car driving. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I am sitting here with a very awesome Megan Melgard. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm pulling in all of Atlanta (laughs) to the podcast. So Megan came in and she was, um, I had to check her for gills and fins (laughs) because she's part fish and I'm sure you get that a lot. But Megan is amazing and she is here to talk about all things swimming and swim across America and a lot of the work that she's doing in the water and out of the water. So super excited about it. So Megan, tell us about how you started swimming. What age were you? I think I started swimming in the womb, as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> My mother put me in a mommy and me class when I was six months old, and they said I could just kind of shimmy about five feet the distance from the wall to the flags. Right. And they knew I was going to be a fish and was on my first summer team when I was four. Started doing doubles when I was seven years old, which means you do morning practice before school and after practice. When you were practice. seven? Seven. It's a little early. I would not recommend it. <laughs> Things we learn now, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. For my kids, I probably wouldn't do that till later, a little bit later on in life, but... Um, just started my trajectory on the swimming path. I played softball, basketball, a few other sports, but it was kind of clear at that point that swimming was fairly natural and just kept going. Played a little bit of water polo in high school and ended up swimming in college at the University of Florida. Made my first U.S. national team in 1999 and um, have been swimming ever since. Very cool. So now you have um, you have a business called Fix My Swim. Yes. So that is why I wanted to have you on because everyone is always asking, how do I fix my swim? (laughs) (laughs) Come jump in with us. So I definitely want to get into that a little bit more. But what was it about being in the pool that kept you going all those years? I mean, I find that with a lot of younger athletes, burnout is major, especially when you're doing doubles at seven. So what, what kept you going? Burnout is a definite possibility I think when you're swimming that much I did have to take a few steps away like in high school I played water polo but I was still in the water and Mm -hmm. I knew that that really was my home so it kept me in and my parents did have to bribe me a little bit to come back to swimming (laughs) (laughs) they saw the potential and um, what did you love about water polo what was it that was it was a very aggressive sport and it also was a team sport it is a team sport okay. so that, and that aspect, was a nice break right yes from being so focused on a single singular sport yes and as a distance swimmer it was just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for laps and hours and hours and hours so it was nice to keep my head above water for a little bit yeah and um just experience a different sport in water so it's Water polo is a pretty cool sport. And I learned a lot of things from water polo that parlayed over to triathlon when Uh you're swimming with a lot of people and people are grabbing your ankles and things like that. So (laughs) I use my water polo moves from time to time. But So um, when you say you were distance swimming, what was your special, I guess, I don't even know the term, specialty event? I mean, what was your main event? Main event? Is uh, that right? mm -hmm. Main, Main events were 200 freestyle, 500 freestyle, and the mile. Okay. Wow. So it was sometimes in college meets the mile... Uh, was first followed right by the 200 freestyle so they'd give me like maybe a minute and a half because they Uh would always slot me in both of those races so I learned how to step up and 
calm, <laughs> calm yourself down and then get up and get ready to go again to score points for the team and just yeah. do what you needed to do. So it was freestyle your stroke? Mm-hmm. Okay. Swim a little bit of backstroke. So. Okay. Yep. I always um, wonder the people that can do butterfly <laughs> for long periods of time. Like that is just yes. an anomaly to me. My coach every so often will throw it on the swim schedule, you know, 25 of butterfly. And, you know, that's all I've got. I've got about 25 of butterfly in me before <laughs> I'm done. So um, you're a coach now, obviously. Like how, what is the number one thing that you tell people who are just starting to swim? Like, Maybe they're adult onset swimmers. I call myself an adult onset triathlete because I didn't start anything <laughs> until, you know, my 30s. So how does, and I think swimming is probably one of the most intimidating parts, of, especially if you're going to do triathlon or if you're just looking to get into fitness. So what is the number one thing you tell people when they're wanting, you know, they think they want to swim? Absolutely. It, it is very intim- intimidating for a lot of people. So my first recommendation is start slow. Okay. And get a coach. If you don't know proper technique, that will help you swim correctly, avoid injuries, be more efficient, and have a more pleasant time. Especially in a triathlon, you want to be coming out of the swim knowing you have a long bike and a long run potentially after that. So you don't want to be completely exhausted. Right. So being mindful about that efficiency, your nutrition, and such. Also, with adults, Sometimes learning swimming at that age is a little scary. Yeah. So we start in the pool. There's a reason they didn't start when they were little. Right. <laughs> They're like, it was scary then and it's yes. scary now. Yep. And sometimes people have seen traumatic experiences or right. been involved with them and it takes a little bit longer, just patience. Mm-hmm. And starting in the pool really helps someone get comfortable, get the stroke down, and then we go to open water and we take as much time as we need. We can just walk in the water and get comfortable with it, put your face in, it's dark, there are no walls, right. etc. So we do some things where we, um, my uh-oh type of strokes. So we'll get to do doggy paddle, we'll uh-huh. turn over on our back, we'll do some angel swimming, things like that so that people, if they start to get scared for any reason and start to panic swimming freestyle and they don't know where the bottom is or don't know where they are, they can go to one of those go-to strokes. So how long do you usually recommend someone swim in the pool? before, say, they tackle any open water? Usually I'll do two or three sessions with someone. Okay. But depending on how far they want to go, if you are just starting, I would recommend at least getting to five, six, seven, eight hundred in a row. Oh, good. That's what I tell people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if that was bad advice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting the stamp of approval on my (laughs) Nice job. Nice job. And then we go out to open water and we'll do some 25s almost. It's a little harder to tell distance out there, but we'll do some 25 stretches to make sure they're comfortable, make sure the stroke's correct. It is a little bit different in open water because the first more or less 15 and last 15% of the water is moving as opposed to the pool where there's 180 degrees of perfect flat water for the most part. Mm-hmm. So just a few That's differences. Interesting. I've never thought about it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I have more of an open water swimming stroke. So I attack more than a perfect high elbow that you'll see in the pool with Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, mm-hmm. those types of people. So when you, when you just said attack, you're, you're, do that again. I'm going to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the big wave arm. Okay. So you come up and over a little bit so more. So it's like than... more of a rainbow yes. versus a mountaintop. Yes. Oh, yes, it's yes, kind of yes. round instead of elbow up pointed. Okay. Yep. And that's where each person is a little bit different. So the stroke might adapt to a certain person and their body type. And mm-hmm. certain guys that have a lot more muscles may not be able to do this nice, perfect high elbow. And this right. may be more conducive. It might help people rotate a little more and just be aggressive, especially when you're in big waves. You right. need to attack just a little bit more. So when you're starting to swim, like, you know, everyone always has the same questions, I feel like, as they move through 
um, learning to swim. And it's, do I need to learn to breathe on both sides? Do I need to do flip turns? Do I, you know, there's all these general questions. So let's go ahead and tackle bilateral breathing, breathing on both sides. Sure, sure. What's the verdict? The verdict is you should know how to bilateral breathe because if you are in a wavy swim and you're a right side breather and all the waves are coming at you from the right side, you're guaranteed a mouthful of water. Right. So sometimes you need to adapt. Open water is very, very dynamic, so you may have to breathe to the left. Right. Or you might just have to change your strokes. Some people are very opposed to bilateral breathing or simply just cannot do it. Some people are right side breathers and their body won't allow them to breathe to the left. So if that's the case, if you don't want to breathe to one side or you simply can't, you can breathe a little bit higher to the side that you're more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is in some really, really long swims to make sure that you're not rotating just to one side. You want to rotate symmetrically. So if you're a one-side breather, you need to watch out for just rotating, say, your right-side breather. Mm -hmm. Your body only rotates to the right. Even though you're not breathing to the left, when your right hand goes through the water, you still need to rotate your body slightly oh, yeah. to the left. So a trick there, and I'm a right side breather myself, and I've been tested at the Olympic Training Center that I'm stronger and faster on a velocity meter breathing to the right mm -hmm. than I am to the left, so why even breathe to the left? Okay. But on some really long swims, like my longest races have been 12 and a half miles. So oh on those God. swims, yeah. <laughs> stop? Let's, let's pause for a moment there. What? <laughs> yes, those are some good stories, actually. But Oh, my gosh. Okay, yep. we have to come back to that. Yep. So... <laughs> So on those swims, I will pop my goggle to the left side to okay. make sure I'm rotating. Because on okay. those long swims, that's a little trick that I've found that if you're a one-side breather, you can help yourself at least be conscious about rotating to the other side. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. You said you're faster on the right side. So I'm a dominant right breather, but I've always done bilateral breathing. Um, but recently I was in a car accident like two years ago and I've had some neck injuries and my doctor's like, just breathe to the left and you should be fine. Cause I've got like a bone spur that's pinching nerves on the right side. So I started breathing on the left and I thought I'm going to die. This is going to totally screw up everything. And I am faster on my left side. Like by my hundreds are almost six seconds. Faster. Wow. I mean, it 10%? was like, wow. I didn't even have to do anything, but breathe to the left all this time. That's great. <laughs> I mean, but that's really interesting that they're probably, and it may not, the, the thing I wanted to say is it may not be the side you think it is. That's correct. Because I always thought I was right dominant. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you are breathing on one side, usually those are the people that think that they're going straight on a course, but they actually end up veering off because there ends up being a little oblique crunch sometimes. You end up pulling, like literally pulling yourself to that side. Yeah. So it is worthwhile practicing it. Yeah. And then doing sets of 100s where you breathe only to the right, breathe only to the left, every other, you breathe mm -hmm. down to the right, back to the left, and just practice some of those things. Another way to practice breathing to your last dominant side is taking a kickboard and holding it straight out in front of you and then holding the board while one arm takes a stroke and you breathe to your weak side. Mm -hmm. Holding onto the board will keep the arm up. A lot of people have the tendency when they're breathing to push water down to get their head up. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it, that's what the brain thinks. But water moves, so it's not a stable platform. So we're dealing with lift, push, propulsion, and drag. So your arm's staying out to keep you stable, almost like an airplane wing, Bruce's mm -hmm. principle. On the kickboard. You want to hold it out, yep, and then train yourself Very to cool. do that without the kickboard. Very cool. Okay, so that's breathing. What else What else is, like, the hotly contested things? Well, rotation, obviously, you need to do that. <laughs> you covered that in the breathe, in the... Um, kicking. 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 Oh, yes, let's kicking talk Kicking is a kicking. big one. So... Over the years, people I've heard numerous times don't kick in a triathlon. Right. And I disagree with that. Okay. 
I'll say don't kick a lot, but you do need to kick somewhat to help in your rotation. It's not only propulsion, balance, kick is also there for rotation. So think about when you're kicking a soccer ball, like mm-hmm. if you know how to kick a soccer ball correctly, like your hips, one hip will go back and then you kick and you swing it through, okay. your body's going to rotate through with that. So it's much like that So your movement. leg has to move, otherwise you're putting on the brakes. It should, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes runners who, this is a tip for runners who have not very flexible ankles, work on ankle flexibility because their feet will actually act like brakes. So if their toes are pointed straight down, mm-hmm. those are two little brakes on the end of their feet. Right. So at least try not necessarily to point as much as you possibly can because then you're guaranteed a calf cramp, but at right. least get some ankle flexibility in there so your foot can act like somewhat of a flipper. So people that do have major calf cramping, that's usually the cause of it. Is the that point. could be, it could be if they did a, run, a big run the day before, okay. if they did a big ride the day before, electrolyte intake, that type of thing. And pushing but off the wall. I know pushing a lot off of people the wall. pushing off the wall, mm-hmm. they're like, ah, I get a weird toe cramp. Like my big toe will cramp. <laughs> like, that's what interesting. What does my big toe yeah. have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say, hmm, I need to look at your strokes. Yeah, so, yeah. No, After this, you know, we'll go to the pool. We do need to do that because everyone's like, have you not seen Megan yet? Have you not seen Megan? No, I All haven't. Right, we'll we'll like, set a date. What the heck? Especially now that I'm a left-sided breather, like until yes. you know, the end of time. So let's talk about, um, maybe we can come, do you want to talk some more about stroke? So just kicking. Oh um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> even if you can just do like a one beat or a two beat kick, everybody has their own rhythm. Okay, but so you tell should... me what one beat and two beat is. So one beat would be you kick one time when your arm hits the water. Kick, 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 kick with each stroke. Okay. That's a little hard for your brain to catch on to most people will have some kind of flutter in between and that's absolutely fine for like a balanced flutter Mm -hmm. so if you can like kick 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 really really light you want to think about it like on a radio scale you don't want the power or the radio to be at a 10 because then you're going to use up too much energy okay so you want to keep it like efficient maybe a two or three Something that's okay. pleasant to the ear and then also <laughs> not, <laughs> not using too much energy because that 40% of your body can end up using 60% of your energy okay. very fast. So two or three, not like when I laugh on the podcast and the <laughs> audio track goes to the top of the bottom. <laughs> My poor yes. producer's like, yeah, yeah. you're so loud. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. If you're doing a 50 freestyle, you want to make huge splashes with your feet, but... If we're doing a triathlon. And that's the difference, too. I mean, there's a major difference between swimming inside and swimming in triathlon. But the misconception is you don't need to kick at all in the triathlon, and that's not true. Kick a little bit. Okay. That'll help you propel, help you rotate, it'll help you keep balanced. And um, especially at the end of the swim, kick just a little bit more to get that blood flowing through your legs. Okay. That'll help you when you jump on the, well, jump onto land first and then jump on your bike, you'll have a little bit of blood flow. Okay. So the, the last 50 to 100 meters, just start building your kick just a little bit. Okay. And here's another tip. I used to, in grad school, work for a fellow named Marty LaCourie, and we had a TV show on ESPN called Socketing, Running, and Racing, and I was a PA. So Dave Scott, who's a big triathlete, right. was on the show consistently, and we'd watch him. I'd watch all the videos because I had to do the – labels on the bottom of the show (laughs) so I watched Dave Scott on a swim exit you would always see him running like a monkey so like a monkey yes the important thing there is going from like a horizontal body position when most people pop up they're vertical and you don't ever train your body to do that you don't train your heart and your okay yeah that's when people's heart rate go like you know if you're swimming at a 140 and then all of a sudden you're like at a 180 so he runs like a monkey to slowly lift his heart up Oh, that's and not really shock interesting. It. You can do a you can do a set 
in the pool, I would recommend doing this. If you have blood pressure problems, check with your doctor first. Yes. So we'll give Thank that you. disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> but you can do some sprints, like a 50 or a 100, and then jump out of the pool and stand there for 10 seconds. And then sprint again, jump out of the pool, stand there for 10 mm-hmm. seconds. Do be really careful because we've all felt that, like, whoa, when right. you come out of the water. I forget to do it half the time. But, right. you know, when you get that dizzy feeling when you're coming out of the water, yeah. remember to run like a monkey. That'll help. That's really good advice. And it won't blow your heart rate. I might run like a monkey by nature because I'm like dying. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I look, definitely look like gorillas in the mess coming out of the water. I mean, I'm coming to your next race just to film oh that. Oh my gosh. I mean, every single time I get out of the water and I see the photographer, I just want to like flip him the bird. Whoop, whoop. You know, yeah. I'm like, why are you here? Like, of all the places, why are you sitting here and you've already taken my picture? Like, it is never yeah. good. Never. Take my picture before this started. I mean, yeah, seriously. That's so funny. Okay, so we covered um, bilateral breathing, kicking, rotation. What else? Siding. Siding. Okay, so this is open water. This is open water. So a couple tips, and I would look at some videos, and I have a couple of them out there that I can follow up with. Okay. Just in terms of siding technique, we like to call it alligator eyes. So when you're siding, you only want your goggles to come up. You don't want your mouth to come up all the way because sometimes you may get water. Right. Um in your mouth and it also changes your body position so when your head comes up that much you can even practice doing this in the pool or even putting your hands on the wall lifting your head up and then find out what happens to your feet mm-hmm. your body position your feet will go down when your head is too far up right you become so, an l the yes. letter l yes right? <laughs> yeah or like a seesaw <laughs> Um, with your feet at the bottom. So mm-hmm. you want to try to keep your body as horizontal as possible. And then when your hand hits the water, pop those goggles up. And then you look just like an alligator. So when your hand hits the water, pop the goggles up. Mm-hmm. There are a couple different ways. But for the most part, when your hand hits the water, you can pop up and then turn over and breathe. Some people do like to follow their arm as they're breathing mm-hmm. and then stick their eyes into the alligator position and that works pretty well too but especially in the beginning i think some of the and when i first started swimming and and when i get really tired in a long swim i'll start to do this but um it'll be a separate motion like external to the breathing and when i finally you know like i'll pop off and then but that wastes a lot of energy and time i think it does um when i learned to do the fluid you know breathe and turn kind of thing um like you just so she demonstrated like Looking up with your alligator eyes and then rotating into the breath. Yes. Okay. And you can, you can, there are three ways that I like to teach it. So you can put your hand in, eyes up, and then rotate in the breath. Sometimes you can put your eyes up, head straight back down to neutral, and then take a breath. Mm-hmm. And then follow your arm into alligator eyes. But either way, it's more of a fluid motion instead yes. of breathing up and then down and then breathe, or, or instead of sitting up to look. Mm-hmm. And then going down and then stop, go, stop, again. go, stop, yeah. go. Think about being in your car and you hit the gas and then you put on the brakes. Yeah. You hit the gas, you put on the brakes. That's not going to be a pleasant ride. Plus, it uses a lot of gas. So if you're teaching, you're if you're treating your body like a like a car, like a race car, you want to keep it going at right. consistent speed. So how does how do you handle that in really choppy water though? Because alligator eyes are like out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Absolutely yes. <laughs> and you're like just under the water. Right, yeah, you do have to pick your head up higher yeah. in that case. And then sometimes if you really can't see the buoy, if you're in a really wavy situation, sometimes you just need to do breaststroke or doggy paddle. Mm-hmm. And that way you can keep forward motion instead of just stopping and treading water to look for it, keep going. Yeah. And those are easy kind of almost recovery strokes, and doggy paddle is a, a great, great catch drill anyway. Mm-hmm. So it might even help you remember to 
work on that part of the stroke in the middle of the race. So when it is really choppy out there, I mean, that changes a lot of things. I mean, it changes your sighting, of course, but it also changes your stroke, right? I mean, you're suddenly more aggressive. Sometimes you do need to be more aggressive, and sometimes you need what I call as a punch stroke, depending on the chop. So if it's real, real choppy and there's not a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it, you do want a little bit more of a high elbow and punch into the stroke. And for those listening, I don't mean punch with a fist, (laughs) just literally kind of pierce through the wave, still with your 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 hands in the same position. But mm -hmm. we should have done this as a video podcast. (laughs) 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 What was I thinking? So we'll need to give them your uh, your Facebook page information so they can ask questions. Yeah, we'll jump we'll jump in the water. At minute eighteen, what the heck demonstration were you doing? (laughs) Because we couldn't see it. So tell me about this. I want to go. I don't want to forget this. This is twelve and a half miles swim. We got to cover that right now. Because I'm going to forget. So my first one was swim around Key West. Okay. And, and that's six something, right? That six was 12 something. and a half. Oh. What? The, if you do it as a solo. I had a friend. Oh, maybe she was tricking There's me. There's a relay. Because she was going to. There's a relay option. Six yeah. miles. And I was like, oh, well, maybe. Okay. We <laughs> ah, she was trying to trick you into <laughs> signing up for that. <laughs> Good try. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, that was a very interesting race. It's. Um, the water's pretty warm. It was a very, very choppy day. The, and that also. Um, creates a low visibility situation, which is pretty scary. I'm not a huge fan of sharks. So oh <laughs> I gosh. pray a lot when I swim. Um, and I did just buy a shark ban. I'm going out to California, and, you know, and there's some big animals with seven layers of teeth What's out there. What's a shark ban? It's an electromagnetic frequency that you wear, and it's like a high-pitched whistle to dogs. And they and hate so it? They don't like it, yeah. Oh. Yeah. It, it, the sad part of this, to me, the disclaimer is it doesn't work against great whites and oh. I think tigers. <laughs> so I'm like, well, there's those are oh, no. those and bulls are the only ones that I'm really concerned about. But you know, the at least it's a little bit. Of a, they're like, yep, nope, like, yep, not doing it in the water. <laughs> Sharks are out. Oh but my they gosh. do have um, they do have some things for people that can. Um, my brain is. They do have these things called shark shields that you can drop from the bottom of a kayak if you're doing a long swim. Like with Swim Across America, we had a fellow that did um, Cape Cod to Nantucket, and they had two shark shields like, and a couple shark divers. So if you are able to recruit some of those guys. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, I, so the swim around Key West, that's shark water? It is. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Ignorance is bliss. So I did Kimberly, not know at the time. if you're listening, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> But they won't bother you. My mentor, Steve Munitonis, who literally wrote the book, Open Water Swimming, he tells me there's enough food out there. They're really not interested in you. If they do, it's most likely a mistake or they're very, very curious. We're not going <laughs> to apologize. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bite you. I didn't mean to bite you. You don't taste very good. I'm going to swim away now. But I do feel like a sense of comfort in a race, though. Like yes. Where I can be, even at the lake... I do not like being out there. Obviously, by myself, you shouldn't be. But even with two people, I'm not digging it. I don't. I would much rather be in a race with a ton of people because I, even though I'm the one like looking most like the seal, that they're like, arr, arr, <laughs> don't you know? be the slow seal. Don't be the slow seal. <laughs> Take your wetsuit. But um, is there any? I don't know. Is there any truth to their strength in numbers? Like they're really going to stay away on a race? Yes, I, I think they see the commotion ever, and they're just not really we've interested. Never heard of anything where there's been an attack during a race? During a race, no, no. So there you I go. I am going to knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have though. Really? Truly. No, I have not either. I've heard of one training swim in La Jolla, mm-hmm. um, and I'm headed out there tomorrow for a night swim band. on Friday. <laughs> but I have my shark band. Yes. Shark shields. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
And yeah, I might have to call one of those discovery shark divers. You need to get on the upswing of some product that truly keeps away gray whites. That is a good idea. Let's yes. let's figure out what that is. We'll do some research. Maybe it's just a really slow swimming partner. <laughs> Bring them along. Shark buddy. Shark buddy. Will you be my shark buddy? <laughs> That's terrible. Okay, so let's talk about Swim Across America. Swim Across America is a great organization, and I started full-time with them in January as the director of events. And okay. We have 15 open water swims across the country, and we raise money for cancer research hospitals and clinical trials. So... A lot of those clinical trials, it's hard to get NIH funding, so we Mm -hmm. act almost as angel, not quite investors, but um, to our beneficiaries and our researchers who find it very, very hard to get those NIH dollars, we can provide that. They can do their research, and then that turns into some of those NIH grants and pharmaceutical grants, et cetera. Uh So here in Atlanta, we do our swim at Lake Lanier, and this is our fifth year. We've raised over $1.25 million. Wow. And we've benefited. Just in the Atlanta one? Just in the Atlanta one, yes. Wow. And we raise money for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and the Affleck Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. Okay. And we're super fortunate. It's a really, really great team. Um, Missy Franklin came last year, and we had over 500 swimmers. Wow. And probably 1,100 people in total out at our event at Lake Lanier Islands. Okay. So we'll look forward to that on September 23rd, and we have some open water clinics and things like that along the way okay. um, to help people get ready for open water. Okay. And the good thing in part about um, Swim Across America, we're an event, not a race. So we have a half mile, a mile, a 5K, a relay, a duck splash. You can wear fins. <laughs> you can wear floaties. You can Very cool. just have a great time. So what is the water. duck splash? The duck splash is because of the Aflac Cancer Center. Uh-huh. So we'll have some inflatable ducks. And you can <laughs> swim with the ducks. You can swim with the floaties. Like swim on, on the inflatable ducks. And oh, that's cool. It'll be between 100, 150 meter splash. Okay. Very cool. So, and what ages? I mean, you, is there a kids event too? The duck splash is, oh, the duck is duck mostly splash for kids. kids okay. But I'm sure, well, I'm, I'm sure a, I'll jump in for it too. So I was going to say, I totally missed that. I'm like, you know, picturing myself in my bathing suit with the ducks. It's for kids. I think the adults, some of, some of us will have more fun than the kids, I think. Oh my gosh, I, am, I must be tired. Today. And as I'm I like, say, oh. it's not competitive. I probably still would want to be the first duck splash. I know you would be. <laughs> so you said there's how many across the country? 15? 15. And then we have some essay experiences. So we have a team going to Grand Cayman. We have a Catalina swim. Oh, Grand Cayman. That's my yes. happy place. I went there last year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I've never been. Very excited. Oh, oh my beautiful. gosh. I hear it's beautiful. I love my family, but I almost did not come back. <laughs> <laughs> you can bring them down there. I know. You can do this from anywhere. Oh, my gosh. That was Extended stay. Very cool. Yes. And then Cuba, um, South Carolina, we have a swim there. And then we have some longer swims. Swim across Lake Michigan, which is a 42-mile swim. What? Um, as a relay. <laughs> As a relay, so swimmers are in and out the entire time, and some of our swims, like the Boston Harbor, it's a leapfrog. It's basically out to the lighthouse and back, and so we have four teams on two boats, and they jump in, and they swim, and then they get off the boat, the next team jumps in, so it's a really fun day. Wow. Um, so is the swim, like the 15 different events, are they on the same day across the country? No, or is they're it spread out? Okay. Sp- spread out. So yes. if, I mean, you can get involved all year, pretty much. All year, yep. Okay. Swimacrossamerica.org. And we have a lot of pool swims for people who don't necessarily like open water or can't make one of the events. Um, we have probably 65 pool swims across the country. Very cool. And the clinics, um, that's all available on the website too? Yes. Okay. 
Yes. Very cool. Yep. We're posting some new ones for Wednesday mornings for kids. That'll be up in the next week or so. Okay. So tell me about um, your, your stunt driving. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Megan here is a, well, you are a certified stunt driver for yes. like film. Yes. Okay. I got to hear about this. So <laughs> <laughs> all of this came about because I was fortunate to be in a movie called The Guardian with Kevin Costner and Ashton Kutcher. That was fortunate. That was very fortunate. <laughs> and the director's assistant, the director was Andy Davis, who did The Fugitive. He, um, he was there and had a house on a golf course next to Ashton, next to Kevin. And the director's assistant knew I raced triathlons. And she called before we started filming and said, would you live in my house with me, Ashton's makeup artist and the visual effects coordinator, and train me on the weekend so I can do my first triathlon? <laughs> took me about two seconds to say yes. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I trained her on the weekends and got to fly on Ashton's jet with him. Kevin brought his band in, so got to do some pretty neat things like that. That's so cool. Ended up getting my SAG card, Screen Actors Guild card on the film, and moved out to L.A. thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to be in the movies. And quickly realized I'm not an actress. <laughs> I'm an athlete. How quickly did you learn that? About two seconds oh, again. Yeah. Really? <laughs> No, actually, I did go to, um, I, did, I went to some acting classes, and uh -huh. I went to some commercial acting classes, which that was really fun. It was very animated, and you can see I'm talking with my hands a lot, but right. that, that was pretty fun, and several of my friends that were in that class were on, like, national commercials, like uh -huh. Gillette and whatnot, but um, it's very hard to break in with the right agent and all of that, right. so I'm thinking, okay, I'm not really an actress, but I love sports, I'm an athlete, love climbing things, I love swimming, so I found this motion picture stunt driving academy and went and started and learned how to stunt drive. And the guy who was the teacher drove the General Lee in Duke's Pazard. No. So everyone's going, what? It was, it was really, really neat. And um, I'm a programmer, I guess, in a previous life. I have my master's degree in decision information science, and he found that out. And so ended up programming um, a, an online video network for them at the time and got to do a little more stunt driving. Okay, so that was a nice little trade. What, like, what did you do? Like learn to flip cars and I didn't get that far to flip any cars, but we did flying three sixties, we did the whole like mountain pass thing, we did a go straight into a parallel parking spot and then flip it ninety degrees and just slide it right in. What? Um, we did a lot of water down, like slick stuff and a little bit of drifting, but not a whole lot. So it was a lot of fun. Did you feel just terrified or did Oh, I loved it. It's all really, it's it's pretty neat. It's a, a pretty low speed, but they make it look fast on, on oh. film. Oh. See, I don't know. So nothing was this. over like 30 miles an hour. Oh, but that's, oh, God. <laughs> that's fast, though, to, to fly down the road and stuff. I loved it. Occasionally, I want to take a rental car, and they, there's one, like, technique called juicy lift, so I've never done it, but <laughs> I'm always tempted. That's so funny. And then I took action film scuba diving, so in case there was any water safety or anything like that, and I did water safety for a show on Discovery Channel which that was pretty neat. So I kind of dabbled and then um, was associate producer on a sports documentary called Living is Winning. I think you know Andrew Johnston. Yes, So yes. went to Kona and we got to shoot him there, went to Lake Placid, and that was pretty neat. And that's when I got my, um, we worked with Iron Man, and we got a free entry to Iron Man. Andrew got one and, and I got one because none of the other crew wanted to do an Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the right business to be in with a bunch yes. of people that don't want entries. Right, step yeah. out of the triathlon industry where we all want entries. <laughs> yes. 
and I made a, I will, I made this mistake for everybody else that's listening, but I signed up for Louisville, which was six weeks away. Uh-huh. And I'd been swimming and riding a lot, doing centuries and all of that, but I wasn't running. So I said, well, it's close. Like, I'm sure I can pull off, you know, the run or I can walk part of it or whatever. But the swim was great. The bike was great. The run was like probably the worst however many six hours of my life. <laughs> <laughs> can happen even if you've been running. Yep, I sat down for a minute and there was a guy that came over and I could tell he was a coach just by the way that he was standing. He was like, get up! Get up and walk! Go! <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so, let's see, we covered stunt driving, we covered swimming, <laughs> we covered <laughs> scuba diving. So, what did you learn um, as a competitive swimmer? Like, how did that help you in life and, and kind of dealing with conflict resolution and situations like has it has it been a really useful life tool in certain ways yes and in certain ways no very very useful for time management Mm -hmm. um because we're in the water so long in college and um in high school middle school so you had to train hard and then you had to study hard and then get the right amount of hours to sleep to do it again so dedication time management focus like putting your head down and all you have like is your your own thoughts mm-hmm. working really hard and just getting the job done and training training hard um so that was a really valuable lesson to like just put my head down and, and go and make it happen and get it done conflict resolution it doesn't give you a whole lot of chance to talk to anybody else <laughs> so, so that's really been bad. an acquired skill yes that's funny do you have any events um from your competitive days that you play over and over in your head, like the regret moment. I happen to have a regret moment from when I was competitive in Olympic weightlifting, and it haunts me. And um, I always think, and, it, and all it came down to was I just let my mental game disappear that day. I didn't show up to play the game. I didn't show up to move the weight, and I let myself fail. And it drives me crazy because it was a lift I had done 100 times. Yes. You know? And so do you have any moments like that? That just kind of haunt you? Absolutely. My dad used to tell me that the hardest part of my race was the six inches in between my ears. Yeah. And if I could conquer that, then I could make more things happen in terms of my swimming career and further on in life as well. In 1998, I believe, senior nationals, they were picking national teams. Mm -hmm. And they were going to take the top eight girls in the 200 freestyle. I happened to tie a three-way tie in prelims in the morning for eighth place. So we had to have a swim-off, and two girls were basically guaranteed national team spots, and one girl would be in consolation finals and just wouldn't have a chance. So I totally talked myself out of the game, and Did it's you? all in your head. And I said, I just have to be one person. I got so nervous. And that's really something that I'd like for people to know and just be aware of, that your energy no matter what it is, if you're nervous, your energy is going to go towards that. Mm-hmm. So if you can figure out how to turn nervousness into good energy or at least channel it some like one way or another, like I tell some of the people that are really scared in open water, think about pink bunnies or rainbows or something like that. <laughs> pink you know, bunnies like, in the water would scare me. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, pick something else. Right here. Like Monty I'm, Python and the Holy Grail. I'm out yeah, here. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Julie noted I will not use pink bunnies anymore. Julie <laughs> 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 Yes, but it, but your your thought 
is going to determine your outcome. Right. And if you think yourself out of the race before you've even started it, then game over already. So you, true. You could jump up and you could do your best, but you've already thought yourself out of it. I thought myself out of it, and I got third place. I crushed it at, in consolation finals, and my time would have been like sixth Plenty. place, but I still yeah. you know, wouldn't get any better than ninth place. So. That's, it's so true. It's so, so, so true. I mean, I always think about in weightlifting, it was so important because you're trying to move something that doesn't want to move. You know, you're trying to pick mm-hmm. an object off the ground that is very heavy and doesn't want to move. And if you aren't convinced you're going to do it, it's definitely not going to happen. And I never realized that until like entirely too late in sport. But I think it's just so important when we have something to do or need to do to just assume it's already done or to think I have done this or I will do this. This is happening. I mean, even if you have to lie to yourself. Yes. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. That's yeah. what they used to say in LA all the time. <laughs> and then I drove a stud car. <laughs> I, I want so bad to go like take my Honda mom wagon out there and have you. That'd be awesome. We could put a dime in the e-brake and then like, yep. We could spin it around. Neighbors would be calling the cops. She's finally lost it. People come in and out of her house all the time. Today, they're driving. Oh, my gosh. Well, Megan, did we cover everything we need to cover? I feel like there's so much here. I'm going to get so many emails that say... I have questions. So if they have questions, where do you have a Facebook page? And I like, do. How do you want to do it? Yes, they can email me at fixmyswim at gmail.com. They can go to the Facebook page. They can contact you. We can okay. do a part two if there are enough yeah, questions at the pool. Maybe we should do that. Oh, gosh. Or part two at the pool. <laughs> Meredith Atwood and the Orca. Weapon. This is how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be fun. Um, I know there'll be a lot of questions. Swimming is such a... Um, we've talked about it before, just a barrier to entry into the lovely sport of triathlon. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, I can ride a bike and I can run, but I can't swim. And you're doing, you're doing the work of telling people they can. They can. And it really, what I love to do in teaching, my favorite part of it is giving people confidence. If you can teach them how to do it well and give them confidence to know that they're okay and they can do it well and give them reminders throughout the swim, here's another pointer for the next triathlon that that you may be signed up for, take each section from buoy to buoy and think about one thing that you can work on. Because if you try to think about everything all at once, your brain's going to start swimming. And according to the Wall Street Journal, you can only think about three things at a time anyway, right? One's mm-hmm. probably just surviving and breathing. One's not getting kicked. And then, <laughs> you know, and then one's just doing the distance or potentially working on part of your stroke. Yeah. And then at the next buoy, you can reset. You can say, hey, am I breathing too high? Or am I not rotating? Or am I pushing the water down instead of backwards? Right. So there are a lot of basic physics principles that are involved in swimming. And that's one of the things I love doing with video analysis that you can mm-hmm. show people here you're sending water down in this front part of your stroke let's work on your catch or your early vertical forearm to get that water moving backwards yeah that's really interesting you can only think about three things because I've, I've had a lot on my mind lately and I went to strength training this morning and my strength trainer I, would, I do group training and he was we were doing this cross cable and anytime I've got cables in my arms and my body, going, <laughs> you know, he's like, you need to bend your knees and rotate your hips and pull your belly button in and cross your... And I was like, I can't think of all these things. And I, I like totally freaked out. And I, I mean, because the stuff that was already in my head that I showed up to the gym with yes, was going yeah, around. Yeah, it was already going. Like <laughs> squirrel, shiny <laughs> thing. I was like, I can't. But that's interesting. Three things. I, I, I totally believe it. Mm-hmm. And even drills in the pool. I know... Most triathletes will have a distance day, a drill day, and then maybe something else. Like, I love frequency, even if it's just a short swim after a run for 
numerous purposes. Uh, one would be a flush, like almost a natural flush because you're in the water and you're horizontal and then the blood won't pool in your legs, pun intended. Mm -hmm. But that's another way to get in a fourth swim, even for like 15 minutes. But if you're going along a structure where you have a drill day, take a couple drills and do, say, 15 100s, where you do 50 drill, 50 swim, and then that way you can do the drill and reinforce it with the swim right after. What's your most favorite drill? Doggy paddle. Doggy paddle? Yes. What? <laughs> okay. So I, I was fortunate enough to train with Amanda Weir, who's a three-time Olympian from Atlanta, uh -huh. and when we were training, we would do doggy paddle to work on the early vertical forearm, the catch part of your stroke. Immediately, like after you extend through the shoulder blade in the front part of the stroke, fingertips out, you pop your elbow and you initiate That's water moving backwards. And I love swimming with my dog. He's actually a really good swimmer and he comes to the lake with me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm swimming the cove, he'll swim out, check on me. He'll run, he'll swim out, check on oh, me. That's so awesome. Yes, dual love of, uh, there are two reasons why I love doggy paddle. That's one of them. Okay, so when, tell me how you thought, is that, so is that like the sculling drill, but in front of you, like, I know what doggy paddle is, but you're literally doggy paddling, like you think. You're literally doggy paddling, so yes, you, you can kick a little bit if you want, you can put your head up, you can put your head down into the water, but you're extending through the front part of the stroke, and I like to think about it, this tip is from Sheila Teramina, she went to the Olympics in swimming triathlon and pentathlon, Okay. so, um, in one of her clinics that I was fortunate enough to, to teach with her, she would say, extend through the shoulder blade, and you don't want your arms super-duper straight because going back to the Bernoulli's principle in the lift, almost like an airplane wing, you don't want your arms super straight because a two-by-four won't fly. Okay. So this won't this will cause you to drop. If you hold just a little bit of a bend in your elbow, so I'll go this way. <laughs> I'm taking a picture. Taking pictures right? now. That's super straight. This is a little bit bent. Yeah. And then you can pop the elbow. Right here. Uh -huh. And so this is the position where you're in here. Okay. You want to so do it's a, not like the traditional doggy paddle like as a kid where you have your arms close to you. Correct. You're, you, you want to do a video your, real quick? Yeah, here. We'll do this you in three will, seconds. You guys will be this will make on. Sense. This is live podcasting like at its best. Hold on. Let me record it. We're, we're going. Okay. Ready, set, go. <laughs> right, left. Right. Oh, right. this is good. Right. See, we right. should do a video podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's for Bucky. Oh, and the lizard made an in the background. Have you seen my lizard? Oh, nice. Oh. Does he swim? <laughs> oh, yes, he does. I put awesome. him in the bathtub, which is kind of gross. But <laughs> um, Yeah, so um, Fix My Swim is Megan's website. Um, you can email her at fixmyswim at gmail, or you can shoot me some questions. I think we'll definitely need to do a follow-up on this. There's a, there's so much here. So much here. We'll meet you at the lake or at the yes, pool. Yes, yes. And check out swimacrossamerica.org for, um, you know, get involved in one of those crazy swims. So what's the longest one for Swim Across America? The longest is either Catalina, because we're doing a double crossing. Okay. And the Swim Across Lake Michigan. And so how, like how? 42, 43 miles. Wow. But they're relays, unless you want to do it by yourself, and then call me, and we'll figure out how to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> we do the English Channel also every other year, so that's coming up next summer. Okay, so that's when Danny Grable's going to do it, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. She, yes. I, I She'll probably do about, a double crossing. I know. We, I had her on the podcast, and I asked her what was next, and she said, I don't know, a long swim. And she said, English Channel. Fantastic. So next year. Yes. Okay, Danny. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Megan. This was fun. Thank you so much okay. for having me. This is absolutely a blast.